We are continuing our uh, sermon series on the book of Proverbs, A Time for Wisdom. And the Proverbs that we will be looking at today is found in Proverbs chapter 31, verses 1 through 9. So I ask you to please turn there in God's Word and to stand to honor the Lord as we read His Word. Holy Spirit, open our eyes that we might see wonderful truth out of your word this morning. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Open your mouth for the moot, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Heavenly Father, give us your light this morning. Help us to see what this passage is teaching every one of us. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. This passage is about a mother's conversation that she has with her son, who happens to be the king. And it's a beautiful conversation that they have. It's a beautiful Uh, leading that this mother gives to her son. She wants the absolute very best for him. She wants to make sure that he follows all the things that God has put uh, in, in his path. And she didn't want him to miss out on anything. And so with a great tender heart, she, she pleads with him to remember some beautiful truths. In fact, in verses one and two, she's going to go back to his past in verses 3, 4, and 5, she's going to talk about his present. In verses seven, eight, or 6, 7, 8, and 9, she's going to talk about his future. But kingship is very important in the book of Proverbs. Obviously, the person who wrote the book of Proverbs was King Solomon. And when we get to chapter 25, we find out that Hezekiah, the king Hezekiah is mentioned, and he has found a bunch of Proverbs of Solomon that he includes in Proverbs, and that is contained in chapter 25 all the way to chapter uh, 29. And then in 31, we see another king here, King Lemuel. We don't know anything about this king, but we do know that his mother gave him incredibly wise advice, and that's what we're going to uh, focus in on this morning. Now, this passage also reminds us of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It tells us what was happening in his mind upon the cross when he was going to be nailed to the cross and the daughters of Jerusalem, following this verse right here that says, give strong drink to the one who is perishing, wine to those who are in bitter distress, they literally followed that. And when a man was going to be crucified, they would bring him wine mixed with myrrh to somehow deaden the pain. And when they brought that to Jesus and the soldiers began to give Jesus that wine mixed with myrrh, according to Mark 15, Jesus doesn't take it. He spits it out. And you can see why. Because it is not for kings, O king of kings, 
for kings to drink strong wine or rulers to have strong drink. He was going to the cross as the king of kings, as the Lord of glory, as the prince of peace, and he didn't want anything to jeopardize his mind, his heart, so that he could do what he had come to this earth to do, that is to follow his Father's will and to bring salvation to us. As our sin was transferred to him, his salvation was given to us in exchange. As Martin Luther calls that, the sweet exchange. And Jesus wanted to have full mind wanted to be indeed the King of kings and the Lord of lords on that cross so that at the end of that time of suffering, he could declare, it is finished, with great clarity, with great conviction, so that all the world would know. And today, we stand in the great privilege of that saying that our sins was completely paid for on the cross, Because in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, we can say, Therefore, there is no condemnation right now for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who know that Jesus Christ paid it all upon that cross. And we can see some of his thinking just by this passage alone. But also this passage applies to every one of us. Because according to the scriptures, in the kingdom of God, we all are kings, little k. Peter says that we are a royal priesthood. Roman, or Revelation chapter 1 verses 5 and 6 says that we are kings and priests in God's new, new plan. And so this passage applies to all of us because all of us in some way or another are leaders and are influencing someone somewhere. And God is telling us in this passage to get the most out of the opportunities he gives us to do what is best in the name of the Lord for the people of this world. So the first thing that she says to her son is to to remember his providential legacy that is there to support him. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vow? She, She reminds him that this is, you are my son, and I want you to do what you were called to do. You're the son of my womb. I remember tenderly carrying you and thinking about all the expectations that, that was going to happen for you. And then she says the beautiful part, son of my vows. That means son of my prayers. A Lemuel means devoted to God. And so she obviously prayed for him. Uh, we all know the great, the great proverb, train a child in the way that he should go, train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, that's a proverb, not a promise. That does not always happen, but more often than not, that is what happens. And the word for train in Hebrew means to dedicate a child. And to dedicate a child means to start a child in the right way in which they should go, in which God is calling them to go. And so we, in our faith, are going to baptize a child in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're going to dedicate that child in prayer. We're going to pray for that child and bring that child to the house of the Lord to be educated in the Word of God. 
We're going to talk to that child all the time about the great privilege that they have of knowing Jesus Christ as their very own Lord and Savior and that he will never leave them nor forsake them. In fact, in just a few weeks, starting in October, we're going to have a great opportunity to take a class called Parenting in the Pews. If you've never taken this class before, let me encourage you to do it because this is really the place where you're going to learn how to help our children worship the Almighty God. But that's what we do as parents. We are starting our children off in the ways of the Lord, we don't necessarily know what's going to happen down the road and the decisions they're going to make. But we do know, as the Bible tells us, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. And that's what she was reminding her uh, son of that great uh, legacy. You know, when we talk about the gospel, what are the great legacies of the gospel? Not only that Jesus Christ died for our sins... But Galatians 2.10 reminds us that when Paul was talking about the free grace of God, the one thing that the apostles wanted him to emphasize in addition to the free grace of God is that we must always remember the poor. We must always remember the vulnerable in our society and bring God's kindness to them. And Paul says, I was eager uh, to do that. And that's what this wonderful mother is reminding her son about. It's hard for me to look at this and not think about the sanctity of human life. Look at what she says again, son of my womb with such tenderness and the son of my vows, the son of my prayers. The womb is a place of great safety, great development, and prayers are, of course, is asking for the highest power to protect you and to grant you a good success. We have an example of uh, someone who follows uh, this woman's words. She says in verse 8, Open your mouth for, the, for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Our job is to open up our mouths sometimes in courage and to speak what is right regardless of what the world thinks. And that requires us to speak up for all people no matter where they are in life. And that would include, of course, the unborn. That would include the unborn child in the womb. They cannot speak up for themselves, but we have to speak up for them. Tony Dungy, who is a famous uh, Hall of Famer, uh, Super Bowl coach, who is now, now also an NBC analyst for football, exemplifies this perfectly recently. He's had a national debate with many people through uh, electronic media on the sanctity of life, unborn life. One person said to him that uh, abortion should only be between a doctor and the mother. And he spoke up for the baby. He said, did you purposely leave out the child in this equation? Because that child has a voice as well. And even though they cannot express it, we have to express it for them. And then he goes on to quote Matthew 25. That's the great passage where Jesus said, Have you done this to the least of these? And that's also the passage that says, When I was hungry, you fed me. And in that passage he says, 
these beautiful words describing exactly what this mother was trying to explain to her son. He says, Jesus makes it clear in Matthew, we have a responsibility to help the powerless and the voiceless, and we will be judged on whether we did that or not. He then goes on to say that he wishes everyone would read Psalm 139 and Jeremiah 1.5 that says, God knit me together in my mother's womb and ordained my days before I was born. And Jeremiah says, I placed you, God says, in the womb. One person said, but Tony, you're trying to become the morality police. And he says, you know, that's interesting. We are the morality police in a bunch of different places in society. You can't murder. You can't steal. You can't hurt someone. You can't slander someone. You have to wear a seatbelt. We want you to follow the, the uh, speed limit signs for the safety of all involved. We legislate morality all the time. And when it comes to the unborn, this is one of those passages in Scripture that reminds us that we're to raise up our voice in the stand for life that is not able to stand for itself. It's too small, too weak, too vulnerable. But God is calling us to do that. So then she goes on to explain to her son that he should remember his personal mission as a guide that God has given him. She says in verse 4, it is not for kings, it is not for kings to drink wine. That is to become drunk and to lose uh, all sense of their mission and to actually uh, become distracted in life. Or for rulers to take strong drink lest they drink and forget what has been decreed. The word decreed means what is engraved, what is God has engraved in his word. We don't want to forget what God is calling us to do and to pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Uh, she's trying to remind her son that God has a great calling on his life and he has so much to do to fulfill that calling. There are so many great things available for him. Notice the word, his ways. There are so many ways for him to bring forth glory to God, good to others, and to make sure that the message of God's gospel is spread far and wide. There's so much for him to do, so much great ministry opportunity uh, for this king and for us as well. There was a young man who uh, came down uh, the aisle in the Billy Graham uh, crusade, and the counselor greeted him and said, do you want to give your life to Jesus Christ so that you can be forgiven of all your sins? And he said, yes, <laughs> but he reminded the counselor of something in Scripture. I also am coming here because I know that if I give my life to Jesus Christ, he will make sure that I don't waste one minute of my life. And if you've ever considered the gospel for a minute, if you have your Bibles, turn to Titus chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. There's a very interesting verse here in reference uh, to the gospel. In verse 13 it says, Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. And who is that great God and Savior? Well, Jesus Christ. And then in verse 14 it says, Who gave himself for us, 
to redeem us from all lawlessness, which is to redeem us from sin, but also to purify for himself a people for his own possession, which are zealous for good works. We're not only saved from our sin, but good news of good news, we're saved for service, meaningful service, under the mighty hand of God. He has something good and great for us to do. Ephesians 2.10 says that these good works he has prepared in advance for us to walk in. And so she did not want her son to miss uh, any of those. Here's a proverb that uh, is uh, instructive here. If a king faithfully judges the poor, his throne will be established. Let's take that principle for a minute and change the words for a second. If a church faithfully serves the poor, their ministry will be established forever. That's really the message of Scripture. That as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, our charge by God is to make sure that the vulnerable are spoken up for, that they are protected, that they are ministered to, and that they are cared for in the name, the great, merciful, matchless name of Jesus Christ. And so, she is doing a great job here of bringing that reality home uh, to the king. But then she goes to talk about his future, and she is going to remind him that he has a God-given potential, that he has a huge ability to impact people. Uh, one, of the great, one of the great truths of, of the Scripture is that we're to remember that we have the power to impact people uh, for the glory of God, for the good of others, so that the gospel might be known by more and more uh, people. And she does a beautiful job of summing up her little conversation with her son in verse 9. It is uh, such an instructive uh, proverb. She says, open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. The first thing you notice is that's a little bit out of order. It should be judge righteously, which means make a good decision, a righteous decision, and then open up your mouth, and then go defend the rights of the poor and needy. I mean, how many times did your mother tell you, think before you speak? But in this particular situation, you're supposed to speak before you think. And the reason is, is because this is in a crisis situation. According to First John 3, verse 17, chapter 3, verse 17, as soon as you see someone in need, you are to take action, not just in word, but also in deed. That if you see someone in need, you verify the need. You have to immediately speak up and open your mouth. In fact, this same phrase is used of Jesus Christ when he begins to preach the great uh, Sermon on the Mount. It says he will open up his mouth. The word open up his mouth is an idiom to the Hebrew uh, speakers. And it means to open up your mouth in courage, in elegance, in eloquence. It means to open up your mouth in such a way that you are going to alert everyone 
uh, to what needs to be done and what is happening uh, to make them aware. And then we're to judge righteously. That is, we're going to bring together a plan, a plan that honors God and it is filled with integrity and, and uh, uh, something that we can walk and, and be helpful. Then we're going to defend the rights of the poor and needy. The word defend there, actually, probably a better translation would be to administer uh, the rights of the poor and needy, to actually make sure that they're implemented, that they are helped. And when we talk about the poor, we're talking about their uh, economic circumstances that they find themselves in society. But when we're talking about the word needy, we're talking about how they view themselves. And one of the phrases that is used today is called food insecurity. And the reason why that phrase is used is because that's describing what people feel like when they don't have enough food. They are insecure to when will their next meal be? When will they be able uh, to get the, uh, the food that they need? They are truly praying the Lord's Prayer Uh, Give us this day our daily bread, and they feel it within their stomachs because it is such a real and important prayer uh, in their life. One of the things that it says here is defend the rights of the poor and needy. Three times in Proverbs 31, it talks about the rights of the poor. So let's talk about rights for a minute. What are the rights of the poor. Well, here is a proverb that I want you to see uh, coming from uh, the book of Proverbs. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. So when we talk about justice and rights of the poor, what are we talking about biblically? Well, first off, we are talking about the fact that everyone, and I mean everyone on planet earth, is created in the image of the Almighty God. And therefore, they are to be given the dignity and the love and the respect and the consideration that anyone who is created in the image of God should be given without exception. That means we are to respect and be kind and good to all people. But also, when we're created in the image of God, when we uh, establish those rights, uh, we realize that our rights don't come from the government, our rights don't come from people in society, our rights solely and only come from God. And no one, and we can't even give up our rights, can take those rights away because they are given to us by our Creator. And of course, you know that our Declaration of Independence reflects that uh, in our American uh, society. But also we have to realize that there is something that God says about injustice in the world. And I'd like you to uh, look at this proverb. The follow ground of the poor in Proverbs 13.23 says, would yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. According to research here in America, 40% of our food that we produce is wasted uh, each year. According to the UN, one-third of our global food is wasted each year, enough to feed the hungry two times over. That's a lot of wasted food that is being swept away. 
And so this passage is reminding us to rescue that food. In fact, that's what they call it, to rescue that wasted food. And that's what royal divinity, which we just looked at, that's, that's what they do so well. They rescue food that is going to be big box companies are going to give them this food as long as they can get it to the needy and to those who need it. They're going to give them this food free or at very, very low cost because there is so much waste out there. And one thing that we need to remember in terms of wasted food, in terms of the needy and the hungry, is that the people that are hurt the most are the children. One of the things that I want you to see this side, food insecurity exists everywhere. It's clearly here in Birmingham. But children are at a higher risk, and it affects them the most. And so when we are feeding people, when people are coming to get food, they're feeding whole families. Children are getting fed. And so this is such a, a beautiful thing. So I want to show you a, a last slide here on uh, Royal Divinity. I want to tell you a story. Our Mercy team was trying to decide what what would be the best thing they could do in terms of our mercy funds to help during the pandemic. And they, in their studies, they discovered royal divinity. And one of the beautiful things that they learned was this story of a widow uh, who was helped by royal divinity. And when you hear this story, you'll see all the beautiful things that happen along the way when you're feeding the hungry. The pastor uh, said that, that, that Royal Divinity has 60 partners. What he means by that is he will give food to 60, either a ministry or a church, and that church or that ministry will give that food out to the people who are in need. Two of the partners of Royal Divinity happens to be Urban Hope, which we know very well here at Oak Mountain, and the other one is South Park Baptist Church, Don Sellers Church, another church that we know very well as Indeed. And so what happened here is Don Sellers Church is this widow uh, was interviewed by one of our Mercy Team members and was asked, how does this go? How does this help you? And she said, well, first I'd like to compliment those who pack the boxes because they give us such a good variety of food that I can really feed my family with some of the, the dishes that they like, which is really a sweet thing, isn't it? to be able to give them that variety of food that they can, they can be empowered to love their family like they're used to loving their family. And she said, and I also always thank God because when Pastor Sellers or one of the members of the church comes by and gives me the food, I always feel so protected, so safe. And there you have it, don't you? By rescuing food that would be going to waste and putting it on a line to make sure that it gets to the person who is in need. We're helping full families. We're helping people in so many different ways. We're helping churches to love on the people in their community. You know, Jesus loved people well. And one of my greatest, uh, my, one of my favorite passages of Jesus is using the word well as an acronym of to show you how Jesus loved folks and how we are to model uh, his love for people. 
In Mark chapter 5, there is this great story where Jesus is going to revive a little girl uh, back to life. And listen to this story. And they laughed at him because he said he was going to raise her. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, which were the disciples, and went in there where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement, and he strictly charged them with with that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. The little acronym WELL describes how Jesus loved this family well. The first W in the acronym is he brought a wave in (laughs) to help her. He brought in a group of people. He just didn't love her on his own. He brought in mom and dad and the disciples. In uh, the law enforcement When I used to be a deputy, when we would talk about backup, uh, deputies wear a brown uniform, and we used to call backup the brown wave coming in. Because no matter what happened, if you beat one deputy, you're going to have to beat two. And if you beat two, you're going to have to beat three, because this brown wave is just going to keep coming. And that's exactly what Jesus teaches us here. That two are always better than one. A three-forward cord is not quickly broken. And one of the best ways to minister to people is to minister to people in a group. To go together to serve people who are vulnerable. The second is the E. Jesus was so ethical. There is nobody who is more safe to be around than Jesus Christ. He was completely safe to be around, as you see in this passage. The L... The first L is to love them with tangible help. Not just to love them in word, but to love them with tangible help. And Jesus was so real with them. He touches the little girl's hand. He says to her, arise, and he gives her real help, her life back. But then, just at the end, he shows his incredible grace. He says to mom and dad, get her something to eat. It's been a hard day. She needs some food. He was so concerned about her stomach and her hunger that he made sure that she was tangibly helped. Then finally, the L, the last L is the most important. Always leave them Jesus. That family was never the same after Jesus had visited that home. Always leave them Jesus. Because you can give them a little hope, but the biggest and the greatest hope we can give them is that Jesus Christ is indeed their Lord and Savior. He will never leave them nor forsake them. Let's go to the Word in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we know that the harvest is plentiful. And you tell us to pray to the Lord of of the harvest to drive out, to move out, to mobilize people, laborers into that harvest. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us here at Oak Mountain Presbyterian Church to be the type of people who's willing to go and to serve those who are vulnerable. We pray this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. I'll ask you to please stand to receive the Lord's
benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.